Hello and welcome to the Tomorrow Today, an SAE podcast. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. Today, it's a really special day. I'm honored to have my good friend, Robert Brown, from, from Too Simple here on the podcast. But the most important part of this is that we have a very special guest with us. Yes. Robert's dad's here. So this is absolutely awesome. So uh, thank you so much uh, for attending. Um, Robert, could you give us just a, a high-level overview of of Too Simple and you know all the great work that you're doing to achieve level four trucking? Yeah, happy to. And uh, thank you, Grayson. You're always the best-dressed uh, person in our space. <laughs> and uh, and I appreciate you and what you're doing for us in Florida as an industry and, and, and also up in D.C. So uh, kudos to you and SAE for, uh, for all that you do. Uh, for those who don't know, Too Simple... We are, we have been uh, since 2015 laser focused on level four automation of heavy trucks. Uh, we think the uh, business use case makes sense. It's repeatable routes, it's B2B, uh, and it's, uh, you know, highly commoditized and, you know, f- folks that m- move stuff around this country are very good at it. And uh, we're trying to add another tool to their toolbox. Um, we're a little over uh, 300 folks in the U.S. We're headquartered in San Diego, uh, evenly split between San Diego and Tucson. Uh, Tucson is where all the fun stuff's at. Uh, We're a little over 40 vehicles, a mixed fleet of uh, Peterbilt and Navisar, um, again, that we're working to horizontally integrate our technology with. Also have a presence in China and uh, have uh, ambitions of looking at also doing a pilot in Australia, hopefully this year as well. I mean, Australia seems interesting because it just seems if, you know, I used to watch the the crocodile guy. And and you would see in the outback these long roads, so it seems like that's an ideal environment for trucking. Is that where you're going to be running across the country? Uh, ideally, but they actually want the Port of Melbourne wants us to do a, a port case for them, and so some of the China team is actually going to go to and and, and have, have help facilitate that. But you're right, uh, uh, you know, countries that our friends up north in Canada are very aggressive. We've had several meetings with them. We haven't solved snow yet, but another you know great place for automation. You know, densely populated, you know, urban centers, you know, separated by thousands of kilometers. So. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, you, the U.S. will definitely be first to market, but it, you can definitely see how this technology will scale, you know, at a global global level. And when you look at scaling it, um, ports seems like it's a great opportunity to, to move cargo. As 71% of all freight tonnage moved in the U.S. goes on trucks. So that yeah. seems like a great opportunity. I know in certain states you've met resistance in ports. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing in those non uh, sta- other states that are not against this technology? Yeah, th- there's some great states. Like again, I meant, you know, shout out Florida again. You know, they've been encouraging to come out, uh, come out to us to do a port project. Uh, the U.S. Too Simple is focused on over the road, so eventually we'll we'll, we'll do a, a port, you know, kind of business use case. But uh, we don't have it right now. But it um, it has been really great to see the states compete uh, for this type of technology. Um, you know, uh, pretty much the I-10 uh, minus California is aligned uh, from a from a L4 automation trucking perspective. Uh, we're hopeful that one day you know, we can get California uh, to uh, to go green, as I like to think of it, because uh, too simple color is green. Uh, but uh, you know, working with our industry partners, even our competitors, and folks like yourselves to uh, make a you know lower 48 you know regulatory landscape is will be key for deployment. Because if you look at the political environment of California, you say go green. You would have the the state assembly and the state senate and Gavin Newsom up there doing backflips and high fives and jeers. But when it comes to going green for automation, we know it's not going green for them. It's going red. But what do you think the steps are that we can do to kind of get over those hurdles? Because 
California is missing the really positive economic impact this technology will have on their state because jobs will leave the state. Yeah, and it, they already have. Um, our folks at Suncorder did an economic impact of two simple moving, um, Not we, we still have our headquarters in San Diego, but moving our operational facilities to Tucson, it's over a billion dollars. And we're a small company. I can't imagine some of these larger companies, you know, with thousands of employees when they leave. Uh, I love California. I worked for Governor Brown, born in California. Um, so I'm not going to give up on California at all. Um, it is a, a great state. And so, but to help to answer your question is that uh, to simple and as an industry, we've, we've tried to be um, uh, on the edge of public affairs. And uh, we commissioned a, uh, we worked with the University of California, San Diego, um, uh, we, you know, someone, you know, a leader in the environmental space to study uh, the fuel efficiencies of automated trucks, uh, because again, up in Sacramento, that is that is a key, you know, to reduce carbon. Uh, we're a big fan of EVs, but EVs uh, in uh, heavy-duty trucks will definitely be the last deployment uh, for long haul, just based on the uh, many factors. But you know, the UCSD found about an average 10% savings, which is real. That's a lot of carbon when you're talking about uh, at scale uh, for heavy-duty long haul trucks. So. We did that. Um, that was well received in Sacramento. Uh, another concern of theirs is the workforce or the, the potential for negative workforce implications. Uh, we've partnered with our local community college in um, in, te- uh, in, in uh, Tucson to develop a first of its kind uh, automated dr- truck driving certification program. It's a Pima program, but we definitely helped them design it. Uh, and that program has already grown to other AV friendly states like Texas. So the, there is a potential because we believe, you know, the, the, there'll be a human driver for the foreseeable future, but the, hopefully their job will be better and teaching them how to interact with our vehicles is, is key. Now, it's interesting that you say that um, Lee Lambert, the chancellor of the Pima Community College, said the following. It's clear that the future of truck transportation will offer new employment opportunities for today's drivers, but it will require a new set of skills. Yep. And that you're 100% correct because we have a driver shortage. We do. There's not enough drivers. And what your technology is doing, you're going to create jobs. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and specifically, the driver shortage is, is acute in the long haul. You can recruit drivers. You can talk to the big fleets. They can recruit drivers to do local pickup and delivery where they get to go bed, get, get to go to bed in their same bed every night. But to recruit young people to go spend 11 months out on, on the road, it's been incredibly difficult. And so that's what the, the technology we're trying to uh, to do. It's a, it's a hard lifestyle. And you, you use the term that I really like, the logistics. Yeah. And the logistics opportunity seems like it's going to absolutely completely boom. Um, we talked about this in an earlier recording where the Amazon, I asked somebody, everybody did it last night. How often does Amazon come to your house? Everybody, at least once a week and every, every hand went up. And that goes on trucks. Yes. And there's opportunities there. And Amazon goes to one day del- delivery. That creates opportunity. But as it directly relates to Too Simple, You've and the team have done an incredible job with one of my personal favorite topics, partnerships. Yes. Yeah. We. Uh, yeah. We understand this is not a one company disruption. You know, kind of thing. We have to do this together in partnerships. Um, our, our big announcement last year, or two, a couple big announcements last year, was our pilot uh, program with the United States Postal Service. In our wildest dreams, we never thought that would go as viral as it did. Our, our PR folks who track this said over a billion people clicked on that article. A billion people clicked on an article talking about you know the post office doing an, uh, a two-week pilot on truck automation from Phoenix to Dallas. So it, it just went. I mean, I got to go on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, CBS Morning News called. It was a uh, again, none of us expected a, you know that to go as, as broad as it did. And then, uh, which was great for folks like you know that 
aren't familiar with the technology, working with a known brand, everyone knows their 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 mailman or mailwoman, and uh, you know we've all have a, a kind of a positive, warm reaction, you know, with the postal service. So that was great. But the one that really moved the needle for us in the industry perspective was the UPS um, investment and also commercial announcement. That really signaled to the OEMs, the tier ones, everyone in the business are like. Okay, this is serious. Uh, you know, they put money, they put their money where their mouth was. They invest the first of its kind of a type of investment. You know, obviously in our past car space, there's been a ton of these, but this was the first of its kind for an automated truck industry, and it, it's been a game changer from an industry perspective. All of a sudden, um, you know, your phone calls get returned quicker. You know, it, it, it's a it's a big deal when you have a, a great global leader like UPS. And you're uh, a grown up now. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're we're invited to the grown up table. I get to look at. I get to sit with you. <laughs> And do a podcast. Next thing I'm going to get you to wear a pink sweater. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I got the, I, I kind of got the, the purple. I, I'm digging it. Yeah. I'd, I'd wear that suit. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting where you talk about game changing. Yeah. And and I didn't know this until you and I spoke about it. And you're like, it's out there, but we don't really talk about it. You're actually hauling cargo today. Yeah. For UPS, for other partners and you're, and you're generating revenue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we need to emphasize that. Yeah, we, I know. I know. You uh, are generating revenue. Yeah. We're, no empty miles for too simple. So every time we get the tester truck, we, at least we get paid for it. You know? <laughs> so yeah, we do a daily route, uh, Phoenix to Tucson, uh, for UPS and also a daily route from Phoenix, uh, to El Paso. We're hopeful that we'll be able to kick off a phase two with the postal service. We also have a almost daily operation with McLean foods. A lot of people don't know who they are. They're Berkshire Hathaway, $50 billion company. There's, they're awesome. Uh, so uh, shout out to them as well. We also have a, a few customers that are under NDA uh, that uh, hopefully this year we'll be able to announce um, going forward again because the more and more grown-ups get around the table, the more and more it helps everyone else because uh, uh, when the American public and the political apparatus see these large companies investing and being willing to put their name next to the two simples, it, it, it builds credibility. And you're right with the grown-ups and McLean is a really great trucking company with yeah. you know owned by Berkshire and they're getting very public now. Yeah talking about the positive impacts that it will have um, on their businesses, on the local economy. I think it's really important that when you move cargo or, you, or you're moving food or supplies, you, and theoretically the store could lower the price because your cost to deliver that will be cheaper yeah. will have a positive impact on the community. I think that's something that's really important. Yeah, and we probably missed that message and it's something that happened accidentally uh, for us last year. We were looking just to do like a fun, you know, give back to the local Tucson community. And we volunteered at the local food bank and donated some, you know, quote unquote autonomous uh, uh, supplies to the local Tucson food bank. And then they invited me on a tour and they, they showed me, um, you know, because the amount of produce uh, coming up from Nogales is incredible. I think it's the number one produce um, grower in, 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 the, in the nation. They showed me that truckfuls and truckfuls of tomatoes and lettuce and stuff like getting thrown straight into the dump. And it was because of lack of truck capacity. And we're taught, so regardless of like lowering prices and people's, you know, uh, Pepsis and milk, you know, on your, on your kitchen table, uh, when you can lower transportation costs, but we're talking, you know, food spoilage and, and waste where, you know, folks on the East coast who want a ripe tomato from the West coast can guarantee capacity and get it to the East coast or, and avoid food spoilage. So there's all these other soft points that we're probably not even thinking on how automation will benefit everyday consumers. And it's interesting with the food, the food spoilage and the local community. And I got to tip my hat for you. That's really smart. It's a savvy move, but it's, I have these conversations around hip hop and automation all the time. 
And if you look at some of the most influential hip hop artists of all time, they had they always had one thing in common. They would always do really great things for their community or where they came from. If it's on Christmas, they would get turkeys and they would always give back and they would always never forget where they came from. And so I give Too Simple a lot of credit for following that same playbook and frankly doing what's right because as you partner with the local community college, you're helping to create jobs. Yeah. And there's certain individuals that are out there that look at automation as the boogeyman. Yep. Automation is not the boogeyman. Automation will go down as one of the greatest economic inventions in history because automation will create jobs. Autonomous trucking will create jobs. Yes, and uh, it is uh, it is without a doubt. Um, I have a cousin um, who's 23, 24 dad. Uh, he's in the trucking, and he will retire a truck driver if he wants to, but hopefully his job will be better. Um, and the idea that this job, that this long haul job will be taken away, is this not true? I mean, it's the, what we're doing is truly amazing, but even if we just hauled routes right now that don't have drivers, we'd have a business use case, you know, for the next 10 years. The the amount of the driver shortage, especially acutely in that long haul, is a real thing. And we can't solve the customer touch point. So like you mentioned McLean Foods, McLean Foods loves it because we can haul from their distribution center to their distribution center. But when they put uh, put uh, all the the stuff on and go out to their, you know, restaurants, I mean, there's so many, you know, uh, edge cases that they told us this one that this one, uh, I'll, I'll call it a Mexican restaurant because I'm not I don't know if I'm allowed to mention it well, please and the dri- do <laughs> the driver knows that he has to bang on the door four times because that's the code for them to open the back door so he can you know bring the thing so there's just all these things at the customer touch points and 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 the, the large fleets and stuff like that they'll still always own those um, just like how intermodal uh, was a quote-unquote disruptor in the trucking industry this could be intermodal 2.0 um, instead of you know truck to train this could be truck automated truck to manual driven truck you know so it, uh, on a capacity scale that, that we've never seen. And as you said, you know, right now the the transportation industry is artificially constrained by the number of drivers. That means Peterbilt and Navistar aren't making the number of trucks they could. So, and then you think of all the supply chain down there. If Denton can produce more trucks, that's more tires, that's more, you know, transmissions, that's more Cummins engines. I mean, in, just in the truck ecosystem, the amount of, you know, the greater touch points that you're creating by no longer being constrained by the driver shortage. Yeah, and it's, and it's more fuels that, that you're that you're consuming, so you're creating jobs in that industry. And we keep talking about the driver shorts. I'd like to point out that there were an estimate of the American Trucking Association, 50,000 driver shortage. Yeah, That's a large number. We yeah. can't move the amount of cargo and goods that we have to move, and we really can't unleash the true economic benefits and, that trucking gives us. And the scary thing is that, uh, what was it, four years ago, the average age of a driver was 49, and now it's 55. That is not going in the right direction um, when it comes to the average age uh, average age of drivers, and so getting young people uh, and you know even some of the large fleets that we've talked to, they even see this automation as a potential to be able to recruit young people into the industry that are that you know, I want to say aren't afraid of technology but are more open minded to technology. Uh, our drivers are are pretty seasoned drivers, average year twenty years, but we have some younger drivers as well. Um, um, but you definitely have to be open minded you know to work in this industry. And when you're recruiting. Um that newer, younger individual with the that's that you feel that could get a CDL or that you know that's qualified from a background jack to get a CDL. 
are you marketing too simple to them as a as Wall Street loves to say, we're a technology company. <laughs> Everyone's a technology company now. <laughs> it works for the multiple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I feel like I can safely say we are actually a technology company. Um, yeah, and uh, we are what we're developing is a game changer. And you know, our drivers have the same benefits as our software engineers. You know, we're of course like we're not in Silicon Valley, and we wear that with pride. But you know, we feed people, folks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, have the the team building stuff, and you know, kind of the the software benefits of being a tech company um, and then and I, I, I kind of say it tongue-in-cheek but the amount we have learned from our drivers has just been incredible over the last two years um, learning you know and it's been an interesting like human case right you have our engineers are from Carnegie Mellon Berkeley masters and PhDs I'm mean, just incredibly brilliant people and then interacting with our truck drivers it's amazing what our truck drivers have taught them and how to make this technology scale within the current system. Because Chuck always talks about, we don't want to be just disruptive. We want to be a positive disruption. We want to be able to scale this business model, distribution center to distribution center across this country. Um, most likely, I tell people, look at I-10 first. Um, and then as we move up you know, into the, the higher 48. Yeah, could you talk about some of the things that, that you've learned from your drivers? I think yeah. that's really a, like fascinating and important topic. Well, it was funny. The, the first time we had some sensors, you know, we were talking about, oh, we'll put sensors on the trailer. Our driver just looked at us and said, are you crazy? <laughs> you don't know what trailer you're going to get from your customers, you know? And so we put all, you know, all the sensors on our tractors. Um, and, and just the, the robustness of the system, uh, how, to, how to navigate a distribution center. I mean, sometimes drivers will have to wait two hours. You know, how do we, you know, get our loads? You know, all that kind of stuff, the, the soft skills. How do we navigate way stations? Uh, how do we drive like a human? Uh, a lot, I just went through a presentation. This uh, person was talking about how, oh, the trucks follow the rules. And then, yes, of course, our, our, our trucks follow the rules, and, 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 and that's wonderful. But our truck has to be able to drive like it's a human because it has to be seamlessly integrated into a human-dominated you know, ecosystem of drivers. Uh, and, and learning from our drivers how to do that is key. Uh, if you, um, on YouTube, it just came out, Age of AI, uh, well, robots do my job. They, they did it from the lens from our driver, Mo. And she talks about how she trains the truck and how they work together. And it's, it's a great way to uh, visualize what we do on a daily basis and too simple. And, and it's interesting that we're, the role of the driver is so important because as you've talked about humanizing it with way stops or, or being pulled over by a law enforcement official, yeah. or even you know how, how does the truck drive? So I grew up in Connecticut, and I remember some of these drivers, they were not the greatest on 95 flying down, but you learned how everyone drove the same, so you learned how to do with it. You can only learn that from a truck driver with experience. Exactly. How do you take that incredible skill, and or more importantly, how does Chuck, who's your, your CTO, is doing a wonderful job, take that important skill they have and, and put it into AI and to, and to teach the, the truck how to yeah, drive. There's variation, very ways we do it. Uh, we obviously do data collection, which is the, the simplest way, Just and, but uh, also is, is shadow mode, where the, the system thinks it's driving, but it's not actually driving. Uh, so the human driver is doing it, and then we can compare and contrast the, the human decisions versus what the automation was making. And it was a good opportunity. It's a great opportunity to compare where, where the system does better or where, where it needs help and how the software 
software engineers that can tweak it. Um, and then obviously then there's all the different levels of testing, of course, that the drivers do. And, the, and there's different levels of drivers and w what software they can operate on, that kind of thing. But, you know, there, uh, through all that spectrum, we learn a lot from track testing to shadow mode to data collection to actual, you know, L4, you know, development testing on, on the roads. And your, your L4 development is, is really fascinating. Um, and another little thing that, you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing you as a really good friend and, and spending time, Chuck, with your CTO is that you can go from depot to depot. Yeah. And, and this is the most important thing to our insurance friends. They can go over railroad track. Yes, we can. Can you talk about that? Cause that's another, you, there's all these really incredible hidden gems inside of too simple that you don't talk about. Yeah, I know. We probably, I should probably fire the, the public affairs guy. <laughs> Well, uh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> um, so yes, we can. So uh, I want people that are listening think of think of your large UPS facility to another large UPS UPF, UPS facility, industrial zone park into an industrial zone park. So we're not talking when uh, Grayson mentions we do local driving. We're not driving in downtown Dallas or downtown Phoenix, uh, but we can do local driving um, from their distribution centers in, in in Phoenix to the other distribution centers. So and and that requires a especially in Tucson that requires railroad crossings and understanding the world, traffic lights, unprotected left turns, uh, all the stuff that most of the autonomous industry has proven that they can't do. And we feel we can do it um, based on our kind of our secret sauce from our perception system. Uh, a truck needs to see, uh, uh, they teach drivers to look 15 seconds into their future. We can look 30 seconds into our future um, based on the perception distance of a thousand meters. So understanding the world around you, uh, 360 degrees up to a thousand meters at all times allows the truck to make the safe and efficient decisions. Um, and you know, why a lot of companies can't do an unprotected left turn, it's because they can't see far enough to make that safely. Versus for us, we can see for, far enough and, and make sure that the, the lane is clear for us to make that decision. And then we're going to dive into um, our, our favorite topic of policy. Yeah. And you've talked a lot about running routes from Arizona to Texas. Can you talk about some of like the, the policy challenges that in order to make that come true that you had to go through? As uh, well, it goes back to kind of the ethos of Too Simple, being transparent and open and willing to work with partners. And, um, you know, Kevin, giving Kevin BC a shout out at ADOT. Uh, he's been a champion of the industry and Too Simple. Um, you know, before we ever roll the truck, we work with them. Um, uh, they've been to our office uh, along with the DPS officers. Uh, they've been on the truck. They've touched the truck. They've talked to our drivers. They've talked to our safety engineers. Having an open, transparent, um, before we rolled out to New Mexico and, and, and Texas with the Postal Service, uh, myself and a, a counterpart of mine, we did meetings at, with all the, the DOTs, offered, uh, we even reached out to the state legislatures, which is a big risk, right, from a PR perspective, to actually, you know, spill the beans before it was actually done. But that is what, how we corely believe. We don't ever want to surprise someone that, hey, we're here today and we're operating, you know, so we've been um, extra cautious um, and especially extra, you know, uh, it was a reminder with uh, the death of the Uber accident with Elaine Hertzberger. Uh, it wasn't in Tucson, but uh, it was uh, near us uh, up in Phoenix about, you know, two hours. And that was a reminder of, of when lack of safety culture and risk and pressure can be can push and you get negative results. 
And uh, so that's why we keep safety, you know, Chuck always talks about keep safety as your North Star. Um, we send two folks out on every mission. We call them autonomous missions uh, or deliveries. Um, you know, hiring practices, um, um, standards practices, um, how we build our system, how it's product, uh, building towards a product. All those things go into um, keeping us safe because our friends and family are, are driving on those roads as well in Tucson and we want to make sure that everyone's safe. And that, that's the important message that you, you've delivered throughout this podcast, a very clear, conscious, caring message. And I know you and I know it's true, but I think it's really important that the public hears that from you. How do you maintain that incredible level of that safety culture as the company grows? It, 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 Grayson, it is a great question. Uh, when I started with the company, there was 40 employees and it was pretty much a family. Now we're over 300. I, I barely recognize anyone at the lunch table. Um, and this comes from you know le- leadership and hiring the right people and and honestly getting rid of people that aren't. You know, So uh, installing a safety culture, hiring well, uh, knowing people's backgrounds, running background checks, uh, putting them through training programs that uh, are rigorous and um, you know are both you know written and classroom work, but also lab work and you know and, and testing work, um, and um, and holding ourselves to a high standard because uh, we're under a microscope and we got to perform well. And, and you're and you're right in under the microscope and performing well in the safety culture. And there's something I want to read to you from um, U.S. Department of Transportation's uh, AB 4.0, which I think is very timely here. It says the U.S. government is actively pursuing a range of regulatory and non-regulatory activities that will enable the adoption of AVs with the overall goal to facilitate the safe and full integration of AV technologies into the national surface transportation system. Integration would help realize the great potential of AV technologies have for enhancing public safety, making systems more efficient, and facilitating economic vitality. You're working on safety. Yep. You're generating revenue. You're creating jobs. This seems like it was written for you. <laughs> I, I sure hope so. And um, I'll give um, uh, USDOT, you know, who was the, the champion of AV 3.0, and then obviously the uh, champion of AV 4.0. But one thing, they took a very holistic approach, uh, bringing in all facets of the U.S. government. Uh, it's one of the few documents I've seen that actually has the White House seal and the DOT seal on it, which is, was pretty interesting, you know, from NASA to DOD uh, to the, our friends at the Postal Service. Uh, you know, the U.S. wants to be and is the leader in autonomous vehicles, and uh, um, we're excited to be a part of that uh, community. No, and we're, we're excited to, to have you a part of that community, and um, how do we continue to ensure that the United States leads on all things autonomous vehicles, and not just ground vehicles, but trucking? I yeah. feel that trucking is, we always look at, we're in an incredible economic cycle right now, and we're always looking for what is the next level of growth to keep the economy going. I think autonomous trucking is one of those levers, but how do we get to that that point where there's more buy-in and the American public and the American business culture realizes that this is going to help grow our revenues, this is going to create jobs, and overall, it's really good for the American economy, and it's good for the American economy, it's good for everybody. Well, I'll give you an exact real-world example. Forget uh, pontificating. So I was hired at the end of 2017. Um, and at that time, there was Auto, Embarker, Selves, and Startsy kind of doing what we were doing. Um, and there was no regulatory path for it. Uh, we, were not, we were a footnote in AV 2.0. We were carved out of self-drive and AV Start. Granted, those bills eventually didn't go anywhere. But the perception of that time was that there was no regulatory path for what we were doing. Um, 
working with our partners and American Trucking Associations and many others and working very closely with DOT. Fast forward to October 2018, AB 3.0, that included a multimodal approach that included trucks. And uh, it is no coincidence since that document, I think there is now 10 to 14 new startups that have been launched. Giant companies like Daimler and Volvo have committed to L4 automation. So it shows you the power. The back of the napkin, I think this is just startup money. I I don't think this is included OEM money committed. We're over $2 billion of investment since AV 3.0. That's been money invested in the United States in research and development, in hiring drivers, in hiring engineers, purchasing trucks, testing this technology. And that is only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That pie is growing. It's not a, it is an incredible sign of what leadership from a regulatory perspective can do. Uh, so from my, so what we can do going forward is take what AB 3.0 set out with uh, FMCSA and, and, and make the, you know, the guidance into the regulatory process, which they're doing. We just finished the NPRM last year. Um, you know, we have opportunities to look at it again this year. So it, it's uh, very encouraging with the leadership under Elaine Chow. No, the, the Secretary Chow has taken an incredible role and it, and it goes all the way up to POTUS. Yeah. Um, the, 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 they want this to be an American first industry and you have to give them all credit for that. But as this industry grows, you and I talk a lot about this. How do we ensure that there's not a, a rogue actor or there's not an, a company or an individual that pushes the envelope in a way that's highly inappropriate, where it not only hurts your company and your shareholders and your business partners, but it really puts a negative light on the whole industry as a whole. How do we ensure that we all act as good actors together and the entire industry is completely transparent with the local regulators, law enforcement the, in the federal government? Yeah, it's it's a two-pronged approach. One is that, you know, having an environment to innovate, but also having that transparency. So like, in, you know, for the case in Arizona, it's not required. So I guess it is technically on industry specific, but they're, they're very aggressive when it comes to getting to know who's operating in Arizona so that the misnomer that it's the Wawa West, anyone can go out there, they know all the actors. Um, So uh, having an environment to be innovative, but also having an environment where the regulators and the the police officers and the first responders know who you are, know how to operate, and and no surprises. Uh, From an industry perspective, I think there's there's one not, not over-promising and under-delivering. Uh, some of our past car friends, you saw that, um, that got over their skis. I think one thing nice about the trucking industry is because we work with those folks I mentioned who are some of the most conservative, safety-conscious folks uh, in this country. Um, and so there's a nice yin and yang approach when because you know, all the startups have to work with these OEMs. Uh, they don't like us to get out there and, and make outlandish claims, especially tied to their type of trucks. Uh, so it's been, they've kept us, and but we've also pushed them. Um, again, I think there's a there's an interesting thing I know that we've discussed. You know, I think you know maybe like a third party audit. I think would be a, an interesting um, you know kind of checking us on our public statements. I think that could be an interesting thing going forward. Um, and then working collaboratively with each other from at least from a regulatory perspective. Uh, it's highly competitive, but you know having open channels of communication with your competitors, making sure that you know they're doing the right thing, testing the right way. Um, SAE and uh, release you know industry standards on on how the test automated vehicles. I sent it directly to, to our head of our test ops. Luckily, we're, we were aligned, and, and so that was good. Um, so stuff like that. I mean, there's I could go on and on, but yeah. you know, those are those are uh, solid things that we can do. And the, the no surprises, it it serves industry well, and um, 
uh, way back when, when I co-chaired the City of Beverly Hills Autonomous Vehicle Task Force for the Mayor and City Council, our number one motto was no surprises. <laughs> and if there was an issue with something, we'd brief the mayor and the city council as we were exploring this. And so it worked really well yeah. um, when I was on the government side. And and you were also did some really interesting stuff on the government side yeah, earlier on in your career. I did. I, I, as a former state employee, I mean, we were compensated well, so I don't want people to think we don't get compensated well. But there's nothing worse you can do to a state employee is get called into your boss's office and your boss, you know, knew, got surprised by something, right? Yeah. So I'm hypersensitive to that. You know, uh, you never want your boss surprised. And so I never want to, you know, have Kevin's boss be surprised by some announcement that Too Simple made. Um, so that's part of it. And uh, and I did work in a, de- I, 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 you know, I did probably the hardest pivot you can. So I went from working at a maximum security prison in San Diego, working on rehabilitative programs to uh, self-driving trucks. But uh, it is, uh, it's about building trust. It's about working with your communities. Um, you know, we were releasing, you know, felons back into our communities that had been rehabilitative and that takes time and that takes trust and that takes a community effort. And, and, and I know it's a, a long leap, but it, it's, it's kind of a relative same playbook for a new technology. You gotta build trust. You gotta work with partners. You gotta work with your community um, to make sure people feel uh, okay with these vehicles out on the roads. No, you're right. And it's interesting um, with your background and a, a mutual friend of our Senator, State Senator Brandis uh, of Florida. Huge fan of Senator Brandis. Uh, wonderful individual, but uh, you know, he's into autonomous vehicles and criminal justice reform. And I know that you've had some in-depth <laughs> yeah. conversations like you're on one hand, you're on criminal justice, and the next hand you're on automation. But the one common thread between criminal justice reform and autonomy is trust. Yeah. Trust, which it's is well put, as well put. You know, which is absolutely fascinating. Which you look at that, and it brings me to this: What is the future of autonomous trucking, and what role do you see Too Simple playing in that future? Yeah, it, it's hopefully it's a bright future. We're confident it is. So, what you will see. Uh, we're going to pilot a driverless commercial operation in Arizona in 2021. Um, won't give you the month yet, just so we have a little wiggle room of, of 2021. Um, you know, obviously working with Arizona and state DOT on our law enforcement interaction plan, uh, making sure that's approved and ready to go. Uh, but that would be a, you know, a, a pilot, um, small scale, um, transformative and awesome, of course, you know, but where this gets interesting is when you actually have a, a Navistar or Peterbilt rolling out, you know, from Peterbilt's case, rolling off of, uh, you know, Denton, Texas, that's autonomy capable. Right now we're aiming 2023, 2024 where UPS or the Postal Service can actually order a truck uh, from from the OEM that is autonomous capable and, and, and too simple will operate the autonomy on their behalf. And, and, and in the business case, distribution center to distribution center, repeatable routes along the major interstates. Uh, luckily, there's no surprises there. We all know where the trucks go. Um, and so as we map those routes and as, as we expand, um, you know, throughout the country. So just to to clarify for the record, 2021, you will operate on a pilot on in the pilot. state of in the great state of Arizona, a driverless truck with no driver in the cabin. Correct, no human in the cabin. Remarkable. Yes, remarkable. And you know, as we go later in you know to 2020 and eventually 2021, love to have you back to talk about the 23-24 plans because that's an impressive story yeah. into itself. And Hopefully it'll be uh, with my OEM partner as well. So. Oh, that'd be awesome. We can have a, <laughs> a, a wonderful round table and, um, you know, looking forward, um, really looking forward to hosting you in Detroit for WCX for the trucking 
roundtable with the uh, the industry and the government to have a really good conversation. And Robert, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure. And, and thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Grayson. Thank you for listening to SAE's Tomorrow Today podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate it, share your feedback. We love comments and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information on SAE and SAE podcasts, be sure to visit sae.org forward slash podcast and follow SAE on social media at SAEINTL on Twitter and Instagram and at SAE International on Facebook and LinkedIn. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.